world is what you make it, really. It's how you see it. One of the big axioms of Course in Miracles. Have you ever heard of that, the Course in Miracles? No? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange era. It was, a tra- it was transcribed by a psychiatrist in the 70s, really. And the voice she was hearing in her head purported to be uh, the mind of Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Nazareth. So it's like the Christ mind speaking to her. And uh, one of her colleagues was writing it down. And uh, so the Course has 365 lessons, yeah? one for each day. And if you do those lessons for that year, it will basically shift your perception. Yeah. The mind's perceptual view will be shifted. And so some of the first lessons are about how you see things here. So one of the big ones was number two, which is you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. Yes? It's a really incredible statement to entertain. So you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has to us, yes? So it's a really, this is a subjective experience. So when you see something and I see something, what it means to you may be different than what it means to me. Though it seems to be the same object, the meaning that will be given to it could be quite different, yes? Quite, quite, quite different. And so this is a subjective experience that the mind is having. So how it does that is it it sees things, but it doesn't really see things as the thing itself. It sees the thing as the meaning it gives it. Yeah. In other words, the thing is just like almost like a like a, a, a canvas or like a billboard that the mind bounces a meaning on it. Then the meaning bounces back to the mind. Yeah. And the but the mind takes it to be that's what's giving me that meaning. Yeah. So the mind projects the meaning onto this little object, which is like, let's say, a screen to it. Yeah. So each object is like a screen. So the mind bounces that projection. Yeah. So when it sees something, that thing triggers the conditional aspect of the mind. And so it, that thing refers to a large source of meaning. Yeah. So now the meaning gets projected first, then when you see the thing, you think the thing itself has that meaning, and that the thing itself is bringing you the meaning. But, like in the Course, it would say projection comes before perception, yeah? So mind is projecting meaning onto these little canvases or billboards, yes, called things, and yet when it does that, it forgets that it gave it the meaning it has, and in forgetting, it gives it all the power to affect me. So that thing seems to be what's affecting me, yes? But in fact, what's affecting me is a meaning. First of all, there's not this. Well, let's not go to the me yet. But the meaning bounces off that. You forget this aspect of it. And then you see it coming back at you through your perceptual field, yeah? So you perceive it to be an inherent solid thing that has an inherent meaning. I mean, it has its own value. Yeah? But in fact, that's not the case. It's a subjective experience. So what's happening is the value that your mind has put on it, right, bounces back towards you. But in the delusionary aspect of it, you think it has that meaning. Yeah? In other words, I fell upon this thing, and this thing has this meaning. 
But that's not the case. Mind projected the meaning onto the thing, forgot that it did it, and now it believes the thing is laying the meaning on it. So you can feel like you're being imposed upon by people, things, situations, yes? That's how it would seem to the deluded mind. I'm getting fucked with here by all these things. And they almost, they almost look like they could have something out for you. You know, you can get that wild. But if you really looked at the activity of mind, the mind is projecting it, forgets it projects it, then perceives it as if it's solid and real outside of itself. It's called a delusion. Yeah? And then you tell yourself, see, see. Exactly. Well, the mind wants to be right. It wants to be right. So if someone gives you contrary evidence, you'll bypass that and you'll look for some agreement. That's what mind does. Because it's attempting to make something seem real by having effects. Yeah? Because if you saw everything as having no effect, then you wouldn't see them as real. They're taken to be real because they seem to have an effect on you. Yes? Now, they don't have, a, have an effect on what we really are, but they have an effect on what we're not. Because this is also a thing. Yeah? And things can affect things. Like this thing can affect this thing if I hit it really hard. Yeah? Wow! And what my mental process will say, Ow! That really hurt me. Yeah? Which is the act of being identified as a thing, obviously. Yeah? So this thing hits this thing. Wow! That really hurt! That really hurt me! See? There's the interpretation. There's the act of being identified with the thing. Yeah? When something hurts a thing, yeah? and you're identified with that thing, you say it hurt me. If you're not identified with that thing, you say it hurt you. It's usually a lot worse when it hurts me than when it hurts you. (laughs) So, but what's actually... The mind itself is not affected by things, because it doesn't have the quality of a thing. It's not a solid, long-lasting, independent, separate thing. I don't know what it is, you can call it, but I do know what it's not. It's not a thing. So here's the mind. So it would say in the Course, Lesson 2, you and I are given everything, all the meaning it has. That's that's the basis of a subjective experience here. So let's say almost everyone would agree, hey, that's a tree or something. So we've given it name and form, which is what the mind does. It sees things or what it takes to be a thing, and it gives it a name and a form. So that's a tree. So most people in the world, not all, but some, most of them would say, yes, that's a tree. And they would all have the idea of a tree, but the meaning that tree would give to you would be different. If you were a kid and climbed up on a tree like that when you were a kid that looked just like that, the meaning that would bounce back at you would be much different than the one that lived in like an asphalt jungle. They never saw a tree. Yeah? So it's a subjective experience here. Everyone is seeing, let's say, a thing, but what that thing means to the one who's seeing it is totally different. Yes. So here, now just check this out. If this is what's going on, and let's say all that activity is going on, and there's a big lens right in front of its coming out, right? The projection is projected, and there's a lens called self-centeredness, yeah, that now directs the projection. It sort of distributes the meaning. The apostle, all this conditioning, all this, all these grooves are now given direction and meaning by this frame of self-centeredness. 
That is what you've been living under for years. Yeah? You've been living the interpretation of life from the point of view of self-centeredness. That's been the dominant influence up here. Now, what a lot of people want to do is they want to change the thing, but the thing isn't what has that meaning. It's what's projecting the meaning. And it's not so much what's projecting the meaning, but what lens the projection's coming through. And so, let's say if you are in self-centeredness, and let's say you're bummed out, and then you go to Thailand. Let's say you're from Burlingame, California. And you're sort of bummed out. So you go to Thailand. And in about a week, Thailand's like Burlingame, in a sense. It looks different, but basically the meaning that's being given to it after a while will be the same meaning that you were given Burlingame. Yeah? Just say it's a couple of months. The beautiful people of Thailand, you see, all oh, these fuckers are rats. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, same old, same old. Because it's not, there isn't any place called Thailand, in a sense. It's just Thailand, right, coming from your view. It's a subjective experience of Thailand. So now a lot of people have been suffering a lot of irritability, restlessness, and discontent. They have been suffering the effects of anxiety produced by entertaining what's not happening. Definitely. Yeah, which is what mine does. They want to get out of this now at all costs. Because it truly isn't the now, it's a mental now that has two bookends that influence it greatly, which is this idea of a past and a future. When I was using drugs, I wanted to get out of now. But that now wasn't the now, it was a mental now. And it was totally injected with all these past ideas and these future worries. So you better believe... Based on that, false evidence appearing real, I want it out at any fucking cost. But the real solution to my want, this now, was the real now underneath it. The now that hasn't been partitioned by a mental realm. Yeah? The now that is timeless. It doesn't have a before or an after. Yeah? The moment that we're calling now is definitely, definitely bookended with a sense of before and after. Those two bridges are just tons of meaning and conditioning is getting shot into this now. And for some of us, it's the place you want to get out of at all costs. The last thing I wanted to do when I was out there was to be conscious now. Fuck, <laughs> it was like the last thing I wanted. Because that now is full of all the guilt and shame that I had done in the past and all the fucking worry about, I know this is a dead horse I'm riding, but I don't know any other way. So I'm scared shit to to efface this situation that the now brings. But the, the, if you want to call it the real now, the other now, the one that hasn't been claimed by mind and made into a mental realm with a past and a future affixed to it, that now is the freedom from the slavery to the time now. Yeah. In other words, the mind hid, hid the solution right under the problem. The problem said, you have to get out of this now at all costs, and if I could have just dropped in, there was the solution. Was the now. <laughs> so selfing is giving your life the meaning it has. Yeah? You have a certain subdivision of selfing called alcoholism. So if you sat down with a person who was an alcoholic or suffered from alcoholism in India, after a few minutes you would realize they think quite similar to you. They feel quite a lot like you do, and they've done some crazy shit like you have. 
in situations, yeah? And if you went to every country and you talked to an alcoholic, you would have them share their feelings, their thoughts, and their reactions, and it would sound quite alike your thoughts, your feelings, and your reactions. Why is that? Because it isn't who you are, it's what's taking you over. You'd be sitting there in an identification with the person sharing about what it's like to live under the influence of alcoholism. And you would be going, yeah, 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 because you have the experience of living under the influence of alcoholism. So in recovery, we don't identify with who we are, but we identify with what's taking us over. A very, very deep mental groove in a deep mental trough called self-centeredness and this deep mental groove is alcoholism or addiction. And when it becomes the dominant theme or meaning giver in our mind, anyone who has that dominant theme or meaning giver, once they open up to hearing other people, they'll realize their terminal uniqueness is one of the products of that insane system because they're not unique at all. I'm, like in a way we call them a run-of-a-mill alcoholic. We're just, a, just like every other motherfucker who's been taken over. You may think you've got, oh, I have the most horrendous war stories. Well, people can beat them every freaking meeting you go to. Yeah. So what does this all tell you? It's a structured system. If it's a system, yes, if it's a system that's defining and interpreting seeing, then there may be a different definition and interpretation of seeing. Yeah. So, okay, maybe you get that feeling. Yeah, I'd really like to try a different interpretation of seeing than this form of looking called self-centeredness. This is where you run into the second little hurdle because the system of self-centeredness is based on identification. It's not like cocaine. It's not like another addiction because when I did, I always say this, but I did a lot of coke and I really loved coke, but I never became cocaine. I always had a sense that there was a someone doing the coke. It wasn't where I just became coke. But the where, the where we're at in this conscious seeming day of mind, you're past the point of identification. You're identified as a self, and you don't even know it that you're identified as a self. That is a deep, 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 deep disease. I mean, you think obsession is bad. You, in this state... Not you. The mind in this identificative, identification state has had tons of obsessions. But the one obsession has never given up. Yeah? All the other obsessions were basically to get relief from the prior obsession, which has turned into an identification. It's way past obsession. Yeah? So now, there's, there's a drive to get relief. Yeah? But because the real problem isn't looked at, that drive to get relief just turns into another obsession which inflames the original one. Yeah? Yet, no one, I'm telling you, most people never come to the conclusion that it's identification. They've got to either have some grace or hear it from some outside source. No matter how much practice you're doing in things people say are ways to get out of self, you have no clue that the root is totally entrenched in place. No matter what you do, there's going to be a feeling of you doing it. So, even in the daily activity of the solution, the problem is thriving. The act of being identified is thriving. All the way you're thinking you're on your way to get out of it, you're implanted in it every freaking day. Because you're identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. 
It doesn't matter if you're a saint or a sinner. The bondage to self is exactly the same with gold chains or iron chains. It's the exact same bondage. Then maybe you'll have, let's say, in the hell that we seemingly are in, maybe it'll be two degrees cooler where you are. Yes? So that would be like a gold chain. Much better when you compare it to someone who's two degrees hotter. But the fact is, you're both in hell. It's sort of like thinking you're way ahead of the game in the insane asylum because you're standing next to the exit door. But you're still in the insane asylum. You haven't left the vicinity, you haven't left the facility yet. Yeah. You're just thinking, I'm so much closer than all these poor motherfuckers. <laughs> but the locked door is just the locked door to you as to the other. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> so this, so the second aspect of it, even the most noble desire, let's say, a yearning to have that freedom that was once available or felt when you maybe you were a kid or some other time, gets co-opted. It gets co-opted because that nobility, that noble drive, is still used in the act of being identified as a self. So the second thing is to check that one out. Yeah? So that the take of being close or far is made up. Yeah? The, the thing of feeling like I'm getting closer to the truth, and then suddenly you do something that you, your mind thinks is wrong, then now you're suddenly far away from the truth. But there's one constant in both those movements, the sense of being you. That's the bonding agent, not the movements. The movement is like the obsession with self the mind does to reinforce the identification. The identification is there's you that feels like it's close, and there's you that feels like it's far away. Both of them are selfing. That's the, that's the activity of the disease. Not that you have tons of possessions. Like Ramana Maharshi says, you don't have to give up your possessions, just give up the possessor. The sense of being the one who has them is the bonding, not the possessions. Unless your selfing gives meaning to those possessions to be able to bind you, yes, then they'll be that way. But that's coming from also the mind, yeah? Because what if, if a possession had the ability to bind objectively, then everyone who had one would be bound. Don't you think? If a possession had the meaning or the ability to bind objectively, in other words, that was its quality, then anyone and everyone who had a possession would be bound to it. That's not the case, is it, in this subjective experience? No, it isn't. So the meaning that's given to the possession can be used to bind you or produce the effect of being bound. But there has to be a you to be bound. And in this realm of time, there has to be a you to be free. That's not freedom. Yeah? Because that freedom is always followed or preceded by bondage. That's not freedom. That freedom will go back into bondage, as bondage will have to lead you to freedom sooner or later. It's almost like, you ever see the yin and the yang? Where they have that symbol... This is black and then the white and then they have one. The black has a white dot and the white has a black dot, yes? Well, in some views, if you, and they call it yin and yang, yeah? The yin and yang, the opposites, the dualistic opposites playing with each other produces this whole manifestation. So, okay, if the yin goes to the extreme, it turns into yang. So if bondage goes to the extreme, it will turn into freedom. Freedom going to the extreme will turn into bondage, yes? In this, in this realm of, of dualistic appearance. But there's a freedom that's prior to that. It doesn't have a second. 
Yeah? It's not, it's not one side of a two-sided coin. It's a different type of freedom. Like in recovery it says, we will know a new freedom and a new happiness. It doesn't talk about an old freedom and old happiness we thought we knew we had or didn't have. Most of us thought we didn't have it, actually. That was the drive. But we'll know a new freedom and a new happiness. One that doesn't play this game of, yes, it comes and then it goes. Yeah? The whole point of this message is that it's prior to that coming and going. And its presence is not based on circumstances and definitely not based on you. Yeah? The presence is prior to you appearing. Yeah? So it is definitely... What would reliance be most suited for? Total consistency, yes? Something that's constantly so would be probably the most reliable, don't you believe? Yeah. Something that came and went, its reliability, if you relied on it, it would produce an anxiety because it had the tendency to go, yeah? So if you relied on something that you call freedom that comes and goes, that relying on that freedom will produce anxiety because it has to go. Yeah? But something that's always so at all times is totally suitable for reliability. Yeah? It's always available at all times with no requirement necessary to mean it. Now, if that ain't reliable, I don't know what is. Yeah? <laughs> but the whole point is, if you find a personal freedom, yeah? then that unreliability is perfectly suited for you because the freedom and its absence reflect the you that has them. Yeah. The freedom and its absence is like, a, what, it's like a mirror that you open up. You see your face in both movements. I was the one who's free, I'm the one who's bound, yes? I'm the one who's really clear that day, I'm the one who's confused, Yes? Your story is told in both panes of the mirror. <laughs> it's totally fascinating for you. Oh, it feels so great to be relieved from that bondage. I can't wait to be bonded again so I can get some relief. It's like addiction, but on another level. Instead of shooting up, yeah, you got something, you're worried about something and it doesn't come to pass. Ooh, I feel great relief. Oh, well, to get that great relief, I gotta worry again. No, oh, relief. It's like shooting up. It's like spiritual junkieism in a way. Yeah? So here's the two pains. Oh, yes, Paul. Let me tell you the story of Paul being bound. It's so juicy. Oh, and yet Paul has this hope of being free. No! This freedom is a new freedom, not based on this. Yes? A state prior to you appearing. And therefore, the only relief to the opposites that catch all of your light as a self. Yeah? And throw it back at you. Prior to that, a sun that has no reflection, yes? It's like your original face, but your original face is no thing. It's just space. So right now, like we were saying Saturday, I'm, in a sense, this looking is seeing your original face. Yeah. Seeing, not meaning visually, seeing your original face is intimated by looking at you. Yeah? <laughs> looking has a certain feeling this thing has a different feeling you may have to get used to it a little bit because there's no thing at the end of the scene your seeing doesn't stop and hit a thing yeah that's looking 
Seeing doesn't seeing encompasses all things, but it doesn't see a thing. Yeah? It doesn't hit where you go, ha, I saw it. I I looked right in this direction, I saw the ring. There's a sense of completion in this little mental loop. But seeing doesn't see a thing. <laughs> it's truly no thing. Yeah? But there's a feeling, seeing or awareness or prescience, whatever you want to call it, presence. But there's a sense of in seeing all the time, while there's a looking at a thing or when there isn't a looking at a thing. Because the seeing isn't determined by a thing. Yeah? You don't need a thing to be looking in this seeing. It's like a sense of presence. It's a sense of intimation. And I'll tell you, once the mind has senses that, yes, everything shifts. It has to. Yeah. Because the meaning giver, the, the basic direction and size of that lens of self-centeredness goes through a shift. A calibration changes. Yes? And now it's seen to be in a giant, giant space and a very small frame. Instead of being the only frame... Yes? Now you see it as a very small frame and a lot, a lot of space. Instead of just thinking, oh, this is all there is, now you sense all the context that sort of surrounds it. Yeah? It definitely leavens the looking. It takes a lot of meaning out out of it. The distribution of meaning changes. The ability for the meaning to go far, it peters out quickly. I know when I got sober, one of my one of my character defects was charm. Actually, in the beginning, yeah, because I would uh, whatever. So I, I went to a bar to check out the, my old little activities, my first year or two, and I'd be seeing the babe at the bar, and I'd say something, and I'd say something. There was no life in it. The words were like, I had to pick them up off of you know. Jesus, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm trying to give him a little shtick. So sorry, see ya. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I realized, you know, that was like one of the quote-unquote character defects, really, was charm. Because it just got me in so much fucking trouble, in a way. But I had no, there was no more oomph. Before, it would have some oomph, it would be delivered. Now that whole meaning got dropped and just fell. Sorry, excuse me. (laughs) Don't mind that, step on it, kick it behind my bar stool. (laughs) I'll get that later, sorry. (laughs) Yeah? No oomph anymore. No oomph anymore. So with no oomph, the impact much less and the amount of time much less. Yeah? Doesn't have a lot of duration and doesn't have a lot of effect. So it doesn't make a huge shit. Yeah? And it, it fizzles out quicker. What happens when that starts occurring more and more and more and more? More and more your attention and interest is freed from all of that and it's just now resting in a larger bowl, so to speak. Yeah? It's not so focused and directed, it's sort of disseminated. Yeah? So you sense a presence while you're living. You're sensing seeing while you're looking at things. And you realize this, the looking at things is all it is is seeing. Yes? But it's a seeing interpreted by a mental process. And it's called a way of looking. Which, what does it do? It blinds you to the seeing in most cases. Yeah? So it's seeing, but it's actually a way of looking, which blinds you to the seeing. Yes? So many of us are looking for exactly what's looking. 
That's what we're looking for. Like St. Francis says, what's, what's looking is what you're looking for. Well, what the fuck can I see it? Exactly. Because you're looking for it. Yeah? If the you dropped out, you would see it's beautiful. What's looking is looking for. What's looking is... What's looking is what you are looking for. That's a long journey in time and space. What's looking is what's looking for. Okay, that's cool. So while there's looking for, there's a sense that's what's looking. I like to use the word seeing, but that's what it's like. So while I'm looking at you, yeah, there's a sense of seeing. Yeah. So what's looking is what I'm looking for. So I'm looking for you. Yeah, maybe I want you to give me something, something like that, some kind of agenda probably. But in fact, what I'm actually looking for is the seeing that is being interpreted into looking. So nothing has to change, you just have to see that. That why is that interpretation in place, yes? What really bonds it to the seeing and you can't recognize the seeing is that it's you looking, the you, Y-O-U. The you holds all the meaning. Yeah? The form of looking is weak, but it, when it's you looking, it's a, it's a bonding agent because the mind's obsessed with what it's taken itself to be. Or in Buddhism, they call it cherishing. The mind cherishes self. It cherishes it. Yeah. It loves it. It grooms it. It protects it. It defends it. It fights for it. It argues for it. Man, it's the last thing it wants to give up. Most people don't want to be free. No way. They want to want to be free. Safe that way. Yeah. But they don't want to be free because true freedom entails the absence of self and that only entails a recognition of its inherent absence. There's nothing that has to be done. You just see that the self is absent of any objective meaning. It's absent of being an inherent meaningful thing. It's absent of that. The mind is giving it all the meaning it has, and the biggest meaning the mind can give anything is not God, it's me. Me is the biggest meaning it can give anything. Because this me is what entertains God's. Yeah? This me is what entertains God's. This me is the biggest meaning the mind can give anything. So if it is a timeless solution, which I believe it is, yes? That means it's prior to time. It's infused in time, yes? It's not a product of time. It's not the opposite of time, that it's timeless. It's prior to time, yes? You can have a timeless experience, but that's not it. That's still an experience in time, yeah? So you get a feeling of the, of the opposite of time, but this, is, doesn't, this isn't a feeling of its opposite. This is prior to it, yeah? It's not a timeless event, it's prior to that. Yeah? That solution cannot be found in time. How could it take time <laughs> to get to a timeless solution? So it's always available at all times, right where you are, with no requirement necessary. here before any of us seemingly entered the room. 
Yeah? And it will be here when everyone seems to leave the room. And it's sitting here, it's right here now during we're sitting in the room. It's like we're all fish contemplating why we're so dry <laughs> while we're in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> but because you can't see it, all we can see is clamshells and other fish. And we have a whole world about what it's like to live where I live, but one aspect of it's totally forgotten, the wetness of it. <laughs> There's no sense of wetness. Yeah? It's only when the fish gets caught and they throw it on the dock, the deck of the boat, then the fish finally flips out. Jesus Christ, by the accent of the wetness, now it's totally flipped out, Yes? This is about waking up. <laughs> now, getting a sense, hey, we're totally drenched. We're sitting here having a talk about wetness. <laughs> we're all drenched. It's like the wave in the ocean, you know. The wave really wants to know the ocean, but it wants to know the ocean as a wave. It's not going to know the ocean. It'll know the ocean like a topic or a subject, but it won't know the ocean. Yes? Because it is the ocean. You can't have that experience of knowing the ocean because it would have to be something other than the ocean. But it isn't. It's just an appearance of the ocean called the wave. And the ocean doesn't call it a wave. Yeah? The appearance calls itself a wave. And now the wave is like a professor of ocean. I've studied every ocean in this world. I've dived. I've Every, I know how salty, which is the best waste of blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't have, it's all experience. I've had tons of experiences in the ocean. But the sense of being in the ocean is totally different than the experience. First of all, it's not constrained by time. Yeah. So why do I want to learn about the ocean? I'd rather learn about the wave and then entertain. I may not be that. Yeah? So then when it duplicates the information I've been given through a talk, then I may have the eyes to see it when it appears, and there's that implication, oh, this is sort of me, or about me, or this is what I do. But there's a question mark now when it's seen. Yes? And in that seeing, there'll be a hit sooner or later that if you're seeing something, you cannot possibly be hit. And you'll see that what's implied is never delivered. It's just a feeling that everything's indicating that there's someone there. But if you question that and you knock on the door, no one shows up. So there's a big leap to the impliedness of the activity of the mind called selfing and what it's implying, which is there's someone there. There's a huge leap there. And that leap is suspended in a huge, huge, huge amount of space or pause. There's nobody there. That's what the original face was. Why can't you see the original face? It's not a face. <laughs> You're seeing it right now. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait a minute. I thought, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm seeing it right. That's the original face. No thingness. I can't see it. It's not a thing. Yes, you can see it. It's a different kind of seeing. It's not seeing through an... Uh, like a camera, it's seeing of mind and mind alone, yeah? Seeing or awareness, whatever you want to call it. But mind is seeing it or is aware of it, yes? As if you would be seeing an object. But you're not seeing anything. But there's still a form of seeing going on. There's a sense of presence, that's seeing, yeah? There's an intimation. What's picking that up? 
not maybe what you would call a faculty of e like an ear or an eye, but mind, which is also what's hearing and seeing. Mind has more senses in a way than these senses. It can intimate things without having to have a thing to see or to feel or to taste or to touch or to smell. Yes? It can sense it. It can sense space, like you would see something. It senses it in a similar fashion, but it's not going through uh, a lens, an ear, or eye, or nerve endings. It's mind, yeah? Mind seeing. It's in the seeing, that's what it is. It doesn't see anything. But it's the seeing is one of its, it's its activity. It's seeing, or it's aware. The awareness is the definition of it, yeah? The act of awareness, there's no thing you could say, that's the awareness. It's awareness. That's being it. And mind, its ability to reflect, can reflect its own nature, can reflect that, Yes? It can see it beautifully because it's the seeing itself that's the mirror, not anything that's appearing in it. That's what it is. It's the ability to reflect is our nature. So it can reflect emptiness, which is incredible sense of presence. What could change the turret? Just take it. The pivot is the self, the idea of being a self. Once a thing, it begets other things. Your sense of knowing is just conceptual, which are things, yes? The subjectivity is forgotten, and you take yourself to be the act of subjectivity. You take yourself to be the one that's seeing, which is an incredible form of looking. And that form of looking blinds you every second, every second of the day when you pledge allegiance to that way of looking. It's like pledging allegiance to be blind to the scene. This is what worked with me. Not describing the ocean, but having someone, actually no one did it for me. This is how it came about in here, is to see what you're not. To find, see it, to see what you're not, because you can see it, because it's not what you are. What you are, you cannot see. But you can see what you're not. You can see its construction. You can see the act of implyingness, but nothing. There's no thing it's implying. But the act of implying is the trance, yeah? It leaves like... Like, let's say, if you had a, a formatted way of thinking, all someone would need is to put one little idea in there, yeah? And then the format would take it over. That's exactly what selfing's like. It implies that there's a someone, and the format takes that leap every second. Oh, yes, it must be me. I'm feeling this, yes. I'm the one who's thinking. I'm the one who's having this bad day. I'm, yes, yes, I'm into that, yes. It's truly me. I know. These are my authentic, real feelings. So, by seeing what you're not, if you're not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, no one's rushing to give you an answer of what you are. All we're saying is what you're not. Yeah? Because there's no need to find out what you are, because the seeing of what you're not is the activity of what you are. The activity of what I am is seeing what I'm not. That's its activity. It's aware. Yeah? It's reflecting. I don't turn and say, okay, now I'm going to find out who I am. That would be the selfing again. 
It's just, okay, more and more gets revealed. Everything that's revealed gets distilled into one simple message. I'm not that. And that's the activity of being what you are. You travel lighter as what you're not, because this is how you travel as what you're not. But you travel lighter as what you're not by realizing you're not that. So you travel lighter. And what this wants, incredibly supremely, well, it wants to be right and special, those tries. But maybe deep down, it gets exactly what it was looking for when it stops looking for it. (laughs) When it's just recognizing seeing, then it gets exactly what it was looking for. And he's in comfort in his own skin, you know. It travels lighter. Things don't seem to hassle it as much. It can get off a position much easier. It travels lighter through the terrain of its little existence. It realizes, no one can promise me to have a change in my terrain, but this allows me to travel lighter every day for long, long stretches of time. Hallelujah. What more did I want every time I put that needle in my arm? Every time I fornicated with that babe, every time I wished my mother was still alive, all I was wishing for was that same sense of freedom and ease that I got when I was loved and secure when I was a kid. Well, there you go. You find something that's consistently there, then that will be very, very apt to be relied on, and there will be a result in a way. We'll travel lighter. <laughs> what more do you want? Want to be right and special? Join a cultism. Oh, this is a cult. <laughs> so I always like taking the back doorway, yeah? Just seeing what you're not. In all the meetings I, we talk here, I attempt just to share different aspects of mind that have been downloaded by me being in this seat assignment, yeah? And then the mind put it together in a certain way and it shares it. Hopefully it will sort of trigger something because it triggered something when it downloaded for me. Yeah? It just... Like the other day on Saturday, it was a really interesting download. I forgot what it was now. I don't know, but it was really cool. But it will turn into something and be used, you know? But then the mind... I'll tell you, the mind really reaches its potential when it opens up to this idea. To be a thing, it's like a mental yogic posture, you know? It's so fucking same old, same old. Receiving life like this. This, it comes out of it. Yeah, and you get to see its own size, which is quite, quite unbelievable. You know, the ability of what you can entertain is unsurpassed. Yeah? Once it's freed from the slavery of entertaining everything as a self, then instead of instead of constantly hoping that you're you'll be able to travel through the suffering you're going to by saying, Oh, I will be okay. Don't worry, let me leave me alone for a couple of days. I will be okay. You'll have a sense of okayness that cuts short that whole fucking bullshit story. Yeah. How many people have you ever put on the dime? Well, how are you now? Well, no, I will be later. Don't fucking hassle with my suffering, man. Let me enjoy it. But I'm going to get over it soon. (laughs) This is just a sense of okayness now.
See, like the other day, someone was here and they said, uh, I've got to let go of something. Yes? That was their premise. So you have to see, okay, when you have a feeling that you have to let go, what's the prior state before that? Holding on, right? There must be a state of holding on, you believe, to be so, for you to have this drive to let go. Yeah? Now, what's there when there's a holding on? And what's there when there's a letting go? A you, yeah? A you is what's holding on, and a you is what's going to be letting go. So, these seem to be two incredibly different things, holding on and letting go, yeah? But they're activities claimed by a one you. So the you is what's holding on, and the you is what's going to let go. You don't see it? Everything's like a teeter-totter, but the one stable thing is the sense of being you. You may not like this whole trip, this whole ride at the uh, little children's playground, but it's all, all based on the meaning you give this, and then the meaning is brought that, and then meaning this, and meaning that. So peace is given a very big meaning, and then it has a meaning to worry that it may not be here. And then, I'm really close. What did I do to get so close? Oh, I didn't do it today. I'm really far. And so the meaning just keeps getting distributed, yes? Back and forth, back and forth. And you want it to be like this. All right. Only one is positive thoughts. I'm not going to have... Like I used to wake up when I was first sober and say, I'm not going to resent anyone today. By 8.30 I was going to resent. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had no power whatsoever. So here it is. What would happen in this game if this was taken out? You have no fucking idea. You'll find out. Yeah? All we're saying is, let's question that which everything pivots on. Yes? Let's just take that that seems to be the one solid, stable thing in this low tide and high tide of thoughts and feelings and circumstances. Let's take that and question that. Instead of trying to get therapy and help, there's tons of people that will do that to get you all right. We'll be able to, together, we'll get out of this low tide. Don't worry. Then now the high tide, isn't it wonderful? Oh, it's low now, don't worry, whatever. Yeah? This, let's just take the pivot out. What would possibly happen? You don't know, and therefore you're in a beautiful condition of mind, which is finding out. The I don't know presents, produces an incredible alertness, and there's a finding out. And what you find out will have a lot more substantial weight than anything you ever know. Tell, tell me. One finding out that you're not that has more oomph than 20 books on, on the topic. Yeah. One free sample will have a much more convincing quality to it than all the things you've read. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the reading, but when you find out, not know, mental knowing, neuters everything. But when you're open to I don't know and you find out, that's a convincing methodology, yeah? You suddenly, you start becoming convinced. Then, instead of having this false pivot, you have an incredible pivot, yeah? Very substantial. So now the ride isn't just like this. It could be one of those that goes around, climbing monkey bars, swings, slides. It becomes a lot more entertaining. Yeah, you're not stuck in this all day. A lot more entertaining. A lot more possibilities. Yes? A lot more possibilities. <laughs> mm -hmm.
what condition you're in right now, it's not that case, is it? Just a few minutes of a talk can produce an incredible effect. Yeah. Who's producing that effect? Your mind. Mind is mind, not the conditional mind. Mind, yeah? The ability to entertain peace. The ability to know deeply, no matter what the appearances are shouting at you, that all's okay, yes? The incredible sense that what's really meaningful has never been seen. My whole life I've never seen it. What's truly here is absent to my perceptual apparatus. I can't see no thing. Yet it's all there is. What I'm seeing, uh, what's appearing, is the same nature as this. It comes and goes. But what's it appearing in, I don't see, which I would say is the mother and father of all appearances. No thingness. Yeah. But the mind has the ability to see that. It can't see it with a form of looking, though. It's self-centeredness. It blinds it to that seeing. So no matter how much you look for it, you don't see it. Eh? I know, you probably know a lot of people, that every one of their waking breaths really is on a spiritual path. But it's actually a form of blindness in a lot of ways. They're so, they're so busy looking so intently, yeah, they can't see There was an old Indian scripture about Advaita, which means non-duality. Really old. I can't announce it. Start with an A. Abhashalaka Sutra or something. And in one aspect, the guy, the teacher, and he's talking to a king who came with him into the jungle, starts talking about someone who's entertaining this. They don't even want to move their eyelids. If we looked at them, they look like bums. <laughs> you would think they have no purpose or goal in life. This is how they sometimes can look. They're all chilled out. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no more striving heavily. There's, it's not a pursuit of happiness. They're in happiness, yeah? They're not pursuing it. <laughs> They've gone through so much something, it totaled up to what? Nothing. So why not start with nothing? Yeah? The more something you get, when you total it all up, Really, you look at it, it's produced nothing. Where is it? Why not start with nothing? And that may produce something. <laughs> something will turn into nothing, and nothing turns into really something here. Yeah? And ease and comfort in the traveling light of <laughs> Shit. <laughs> use the one quantity of drugs, something. I had a whole lot of something. I did. I shot up a lot of something in my life. <laughs> and it all came to nothing, really. <laughs> and, and yet nothing has brought the greatest something in my life. Yeah? It's so fucking cool. Yeah, Nothing. It didn't cost me a cent. Yeah, maybe I threw some money at these meetings. Probably a lot more than you guys do to this one. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't really put much into it. And yet, nothing produced it. something. Everything, really. But all the something I used to acquire really produced nothing. 
Yeah? It's funny. When we think we're shopping, it's like we're starving. And when we, you know, it's like the opposite of what it looks like here. When you look like you're moving ahead, you're really moving backwards <laughs> a lot of the time. When you think you're getting out of self, you're being, that's totally being in self. <laughs> in selfing. There's no self in here. Yeah. So there is a solution there. The spiritual subpoena has been served. Yeah. Uh, any questions? No? Jeff, you didn't fall asleep tonight. You had a good nap today? No, I thought that was good. good, good. I hate this. I don't want to throw your sleeping pattern off. No, I want to support you in that. All right, well, then, can we pass that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you have a question? Yes. All right. So, you mentioned the mind can see or visualize the void. Not visualize, see is different. Yeah. And the void is next, is close to beings. Hmm. That's getting semantic. I don't know what the void is. We're just using that to sort of imply emptiness of thing. Yeah. Of thingness, yeah. Yeah, the emptiness doesn't mean it's empty, but in a sense it's empty of things, yes? In objects that have inherent meanings. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? An object that has an inherent meaning? In other words, that meaning would be that meaning as long as that object was that object. But is that your experience here, or is it everything has different meanings to different people? Which one is it? Yeah, John. Hmm? Yes, so it's a subjective experience, in a way. Based on where you're looking at it from, that where you're looking at it from gives what you're looking at a lot of meaning. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, when if you kept trying to change the meaning of things and not look at this, how much production would that produce? Could you... Can you really produce a long-lasting radical change by changing things? Or would it just be realizing that the apparatus gives everything the meaning it has and leave it at that? And then see what happens when the mind entertains that idea. When the mind starts becoming aware of the machinations of the mental process and entertains, I may not be that then what will the mind more be like after it says, I may not be like that? I would think it's, it would be more like mind, yeah? Not mind in identification as a self, but mind. Don't you think? If it would realize that I'm not that, then it would start flexing, let's say, its mind muscles, not in the straitjacket of selfing, yeah? Which is constrained by time and space. And it would start... And there would be... an. Uh, a quivering of awareness, yeah? When the mind came out of that posture, there would be a sense, because you're conscious, there would be a sense of something happening, yeah? yeah? That sense of something happening usually translates into like, I'm feeling light, you know, and bigger. The mind's coming out of its little yogic self-posture, and in that, it starts becoming more like mind, yeah, like open sky. Not like the same old, same old cloud that's stuck in all these different weather fronts. Oh, there I am. 
Here I am in the midst of problems. That's me. Yeah. But no, the, the sky that allows all these things to appear in them, but is not affected by any of them. Wouldn't you like to have a little of that quality enter into this trip? Hmm? I would think so, yeah. Yes? <clears throat> itself. So we can get the mind to enjoy so I don't know if you'd call it enjoyment, but or yes. When you're entertaining, that's what it is. Entered mind's entertaining what it is, which is the ability to entertain in one sense. Yeah. The entertaining is of it. See? When I'm sitting here entertaining, what am I entertaining? I'm entertaining space in a way. It senses a, there's a presence in it, but it's it's like mind entertaining itself. Yeah? Its nature is empty, yeah? so it's entertaining that idea. It's not an idea, it's just something. And then there's intimation in that entertaining. So the entertaining is it in a way. Yeah? It's not I'm entertaining it. The entertaining is it. But there's no it. It's the entertaining is. Yeah? It's a feeling. It's a different feeling than entertaining a thing when there's an entertaining of no thing. It has a different feeling to it, a different flavor. Yeah? But it's still entertaining. Just like we entertain something here, the same entertaining can be of no, oh, no thing. But this entertaining of no thing doesn't derive you or give meaning you as a presence. It senses the presence of no thingness. Yeah? When I'm entertaining as a self, I give this the, the meaning of being present, and this the meaning of being present, and this the meaning of being present. And all things are given the meaning of being present, but I don't give the meaning of no thing as being present. It seems to be thoroughly absent. Yeah? But in this sense, I'm entertaining the presence of no thing. Yeah? And in that presence of no-thing, it intimates the absence of thingness here. So there's a perception of a thing, but it's not taken to be a real inherent object. It's taken to be an aspect of mind once again. Because all there is is mind. Yeah? All there is is mind. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just to jump on the whole thing that everything is the mind, uh, you also, uh, the things that you're saying are a lot like, um, for instance, when you were saying letting go, holding on, letting go, holding on, identification, stuff like that. I just want to say that it's like you're telling the truth, okay, right here. So I'm in a room and you're actually speaking the truth, okay, and I'm 51 years old. Yes. But at the moment, we're trying to force holding on into her identity. 
Yes. And I would just like to but you're not doing that. There isn't a you to do anything here. Yes? So that's the, in a sense, even in the seeming, the passing on of a bondage, there's an inherent freedom. Because there's no you that's passing it on. Yes? There's the passing it on, but there's no you that's passing it on. And that you is a juicy, like, honeycomb of meaning to mind. So you're not that you that's passing it on. Though it is here manifesting, passing it on. And it's a wonderful way you put it. You're teaching her to hold on to things. And there'll be a point in her life where she'll have to learn how to let go. Yes, yeah, it's always the case, eh? Isn't it? Everything swings like a pendulum here. Well, I like what, can I yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what you just said because in, in that there is no judgment. No, there isn't a judgment. No. Things happen here, definitely. Things happen here. But the whole meaning that's that's they get drenched in is if it's you that's doing it or having it happen too. When you take the you out of it, it's seen differently. It doesn't mean everything's given a pass. In manifestation, it swings both ways. What you would call nasty and good occur here. You know, it just the stream breaks into two seemingly holistic ways and then conflicts. Yeah. But thank God, in a way, there isn't a you that has anything truly to do with it. Yes, the you is just an appearance produced in it. Yes, but that's what there was a teacher, a guy named I'm going to show this anymore. There was a guy named Will.